Our study of Galatians has brought us chapter 3, where Paul is using the example of Old Testament Abraham, with whom God made a covenant, a covenant that he would be a blessing to all nations, and a covenant that spelled out the land of Canaan would belong to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now, in chapter 3, beginning with verse 15, Paul writes, To give a human example, brethren, no one annuls even a man's will, or adds to it, once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring which is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance is by the law, it is no longer by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now we looked at the passages in the Old Testament that deal with this covenant. There was Genesis chapter 12, where God promised to make him a great nation, to bless him, to make his name great, and to make him a blessing to all nations. He said, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people, he said, will be blessed through you. Well, in Genesis 15, God makes the covenant again. And there, God walks between the pieces of the animal cut up for the covenant He is represented there by a flaming torch and a smoking pot. Abraham was asleep when God walked through the pieces, indicating this was a covenant that God was going to fulfill. Abraham had no obligations in this unconditional covenant. And this is the passage to which Paul referred in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, when he wrote, Thus, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So you see that it is men of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Following the making of that covenant in Genesis 15, we see that God ratified the agreement to his son Isaac, the child of promise. And that's found in Genesis chapter 26, beginning with verse 3. It reads, Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. And to you and your descendants... I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Well, we see that is a confirmation of the very thing that God promised to Abraham. And then in Genesis 28, We find that God confirmed it again, this time with Jacob, one of the sons of Isaac. And in verses 14 and 15 of Genesis 28, we read, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back 
to this land. Now this final statement of the promise to Jacob was made 430 years prior to the giving of the law. And Paul is going to talk about that in verse 17 of Galatians 3. And so I want to discuss that briefly here because there is some confusion over these 430 years. Now, I have purposely cited all these passages concerning the covenant because of these conflicting figures in the Bible. Some people would immediately jump to the conclusion and say the Bible is contradictory. In one place it says 430 years and in another place 400 years, which is right. Well, Paul in verse 17 said, this is what I mean, the law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. But in Genesis 15, it said that Abraham's descendants would be slaves for 400 years. And Stephen, that disciple who was martyred, repeated this statement this way. God spoke to him, referring to Abraham, in this way, Your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. Now the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for four hundred years, but they lived there exactly four hundred and thirty years. We know that from Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. And God brought them to Sinai, where the covenant of law was established with them. So you see that it was 430 years following the reaffirmation of this covenant with Jacob that the law was given, not 430 years from the time of Abraham. So when Paul writes in verse 17 of Galatians 3 that the law came 430 years afterward, he's talking about the law coming 430 years after the covenant was reaffirmed with Jacob. Now, we return to Galatians 3.15, where Paul reminds the Galatians that even a man's will is not altered Therefore, how much less should God's covenant be altered? Apparently, some Jews had concluded that although God made an unconditional promise, the next covenant of law modified it to the extent that blessing from Moses' time on would come only through obedience to the law. As far as these Jews were concerned, you could forget about Abraham and any promises God had made to Abraham. What counted was the law of Moses. But no place in the Bible does it say that the law of Moses took the place of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. Remember, God had said this would be an everlasting covenant when he promised Abraham the land and to make him a great nation. The law was added to that. It didn't replace the covenant God made with Abraham. And Paul's answer is, you can't change a covenant after its ratification. There is no adding or subtracting. After all, that's the purpose of a covenant, to establish something as final and fixed. 
That's why men today sign contracts. So changes can't be made. So obligations do not vary. We want to know how much we're going to pay for something. And when you purchase a house, that's a contract. You're going to make monthly payments of a certain amount for a certain number of years. And even then, although this is an agreement made by men, men will not alter that covenant. Well, that tells us something from Paul's argument about how God is not going to change his covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was God's unconditional promise. When Abraham believed it, he was justified. That word justified, it's a theological word. It means declared righteous. And so today, when men believe a promise from God, they too are declared righteous in God's sight. You're not made righteous. Your lifestyle may not be any different. But because God honors faith, he declares you righteous in spite of your unrighteousness. The very declaration of God to the sinner that he is righteous in the holy eyes of God forever is enough to cause a change in lifestyle. And that happens when men believe they are grateful to God for taking away their sins, taking away their guilt, and giving them a hope for their destiny in heaven. That changes lives. Now keep in mind that when an Israelite offered a sacrifice according to the law, he was not brought into a relationship of justification by God, not like what the Christian experiences. The sacrifice merely covered his sins of the past. It had no future benefit. But justification is a declaration that causes a man to be right in God's sight forever, and it establishes a standing of divine approval forever with God. But this comes only through faith, not through sacrifices. So it was with Abraham. Now, Paul was the expert on the law, and he concluded that no one could be justified by the law because the scriptures taught that only a person who is righteous through faith is the one who gets life eternal. When he refers to Abraham's example in the Old Testament, he calls attention to how he was justified by God. He quotes Genesis 15:6. Whatever God promised to do, God would surely do all by himself. When a man wants to be right with God, his part must be nothing other than the response of faith. It must be, I believe God. I believe that he will do what he promised to do. That's an expression of faith. It is amazing that so many people are reluctant to accept this conclusion which Paul gives us here in this chapter, and they seem to offer themselves as more knowledgeable about the Old Testament than the Apostle. They insist that one must keep the law in order to be justified by God. Now, how sure is God's promise to Abraham? Can God cancel it? Can God change his mind and say, uh, I really didn't mean it, or I have new plans and therefore I'm canceling out the promises I made to Abraham. Well, listen to what the writer of Hebrews wrote in chapter 3 
beginning with verse 13. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, in order that, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge, to lay hold of the hope set before us. Wow, that's a promise. God can't lie. He even took an oath that he would keep his word. Friends, that's something to believe. And if you could believe God in regard to Abraham, you can believe God's promise regarding Jesus Christ for life eternal. Have you heard about understanding the New Testament? It's a cassette tape course that is unmatched in providing biblical understanding. People who have experienced just the first of the ten tapes have said, Why didn't I hear this in church? This course is a biblical treat. You will hear the Christian's faith presented as never before, and it will change your orientation, both to God and to the Bible. This course emphasizes the distinction between the two religions of the Bible, and it will challenge you to reconsider commonly held concepts about Christianity. No tape course or book contains this exciting material. Write for information about understanding the New Testament. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.